When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Plenty of action to get through across the last 48 hours as we're talking the title race, the battle for Europe and the all-important scrap to avoid the drop. All of those take a few more twists and turns along the way this weekend and there is plenty to get stuck into. Wins for Manchester City and Liverpool means the title race looks set for a revival in the coming weeks but it was draw time once again for Manchester United as their chances of a top four finish took a hit with just a point against Southampton. And then we cruise down to the bottom with huge wins in the context of the scrap for survival as Everton and Newcastle both give themselves a big helping hand and a massive shift in the relegation picture. Eight of the nine games from the weekend will be covered on tonight's show with lots to discuss at both ends of the Premier League table. In part one, we check in on another lacklustre Manchester United performance as Ralph Rangnick's side were held at home by the Saints and by his namesake, Ralph Harsenhutl. The Battle of the Ralphs ended in a point apiece, but no such nonsense for the blue half of the city. Pep Guardiola's side flexed their title muscles with four goals and three points away from home at Norwich. That's all to come in the first part. In part two, we look at a winning Goodison Park start for Frank Lampard in Premier League action. Everton cruised their way past Leeds with a 3-0 win in front of their home fans and neighbours Liverpool kept up the title pace with City thanks to three hard-earned points at Burnley. And then to wrap it all up, we'll be talking Newcastle and Spurs plus all the remaining action from this weekend. Right then, plenty to get through. As I say, my name's Fergal Brennan and on tonight's show we have senior football writer for the Manchester Evening News, Ty Marshall. Ty, how's things? Uh, very good, thank you, Virgil. Very good. Pleasure to be on as always. 
wonderful stuff we're going to be going to you first on United and we want some answers uh, so get yourself ready uh, hopefully you can shed some light on what Ralph Rangnick was unable to so no pressure um, and alongside alongside Ty we have Manchester City fan who probably doesn't have that many questions to answer because they were excellent this weekend Man City fan and podcaster Steve McInerney Steve comfortable routine weekend Life is good, mate. Life is good. It's nice and easy at the moment being a blue, and long may it continue. Long may it continue, indeed. A very straightforward weekend for City, but not, as we've obviously mentioned, for United. So that's where we're going to kick ourselves off, uh, Ty. Yet more issues for United, and, and we're joking about the situation with Ralph Rangnick and the players, that none of them seem to know what's going on. David De Gea did an interview in midweek with a Spanish newspaper, El País, where he essentially said he thinks United are are cursed he's got no answers as to the situation and why things are not going well for them Ralph Rangnick pretty much said the same and admitted his frustration in his post-match press conference he said this is the fourth game in 2022 where United have led looked to be in a promising position and then thrown away points and ended up coming away with a draw so we kind of have a bit of a running theme with United on the podcast in the last few weeks. So I'm going to ask you the $64,000 question. What is going on? This wasn't necessarily a, a bad performance from United. There wasn't stacks and stacks of missed chances. But again, it's just not enough. And it's a game that United have to win if they've got real serious designs of uh, a finishing in the top four. Yeah, I mean... Cursed is probably the best explanation I've heard for us at the moment, to be honest. Um, it is just incredible. If It's in the realms of if it can go wrong, it will go wrong for, for Manchester United at the moment. The similarities with the last two games were just incredible, really. The, mm. the last three, the Middlesbrough, Burnley and, and Southampton games, they've played, they've started well in all of them, taken the lead, played well in all of them, missed chances, conceded, and then struggled to get back on top. And... This, this was so similar to Burnley that they even conceded in, in virtually the same minute as well. It is just utterly perplexing. And it's it seems strange to say a team has a crisis of confidence at 1-0 up, but that feels like what's happening at the moment. At 0-0 at the start of games, they're, they're doing all right at the moment and they're playing quite well. Weirdly, when they take the lead, that's when, <laughs> that's when they seem mm. to be losing confidence. Um, and I think Luke Shaw touched on it post-match yesterday that when they concede, certainly when it goes to one all you can sense that they're all just thinking, here we go again. And, you know, that's understandable in a way. They are only human and everyone in the stadium for 20 minutes was thinking, I can't believe this has happened again. It's understandable the players might be thinking it. But the the, the similarities are just incredible. They played reasonably well. I don't think they were as good as they were first half against Middlesbrough and Burnley, but they still created enough chances. Um, They're missing a lot of chances at the moment. There's a real issue, I think, with Ronaldo's form at the moment. He's he's the one where the goal scoring burden falls on, and he looks he looks mortal at the moment. Um, mm. When obviously he's <laughs> he's supposed to be immortal, um, and that that's obviously an issue for them. But there's there's clearly a real sort of crisis mm. of confidence in that team, a real morale issue when when they have a setback, and it, it seems to be a recurring theme. Really, there's there's this argument that they're getting tired in games. I think there's a little bit of that, but a lot of the debate yesterday was if they're pressing like Liverpool or Manchester City, they're not. Um, mm. You know, they're, they're they're pressing more than they were under Solskjaer, but by, they're by no means Ranić's RB Leipzig team. They're, you know, he has scaled back his pressing ambitions pretty clearly. He was talking the first week about pressing monsters. I mean, they're they're certainly not monsters when it comes to pressing. So the idea they're getting tired 
you know, they've had 12 games now to put this into practice, lots of training sessions. They should be fit enough to carry out the game plan for 90 minutes. Mm. Um, so I just don't, I don't buy the idea that it, that it's a fitness thing that's holding them back. Really, yeah, I agree. is it maybe a, a personnel issue when you look at the team and you look at these results and these points that Rangnick has said have been dropped from winning positions where they've been in front and eventually just kind of had to settle for a draw. There's not been sweeping changes to the starting eleven. Looking at the Burnley draw in midweek, it was only Cavani that came out of the starting eleven. He's not chopping and changing constantly. Do you think? maybe that's part of an issue you, you said there that tiredness shouldn't or isn't really a factor in all this but maybe just a freshness of bringing in a couple of players who haven't played much and maybe putting a bit of pressure on certain players in the team do you think maybe that could spark something or do you just think this is is a little bit of a broken toy that probably won't get fixed until the summer yeah I think the latter really um I don't think they've got they've obviously not got a lot of options at the moment um they let the players leave on loan in, in January. The, neither manager even tried to get a tune out of Donny van der Beek and obviously he, he played very well yesterday. Um, I think the, the team he's putting out is mm. the best eleven at the moment. It's just not working for, for whatever reason and I think it's it's not going to get fixed in, until the summer. I think it was always... There was a lot of positivity around Ranić's appointment and from us in the press especially... And he still talks a very good game. His, his press conferences are fascinating. He's incredibly open. His first press conference was brilliant. But he is, you know, when, when you're a footballer, especially a footballer at Manchester United and some of the medals they have, a lot of them won't be familiar with kind of the, the back office work mm. that he's done, that, that we are. And he's coming in and they can, at the end of the day, he's coached one, he's coached two years in the last 10, only one of them in a major European league. His CV is is pretty unfilled. So I think there's, an element of these players, you know, he, he had to win the players over and that's a difficult battle to do in just a, just a short space of time. And his style is so unique that it's it's something that can take two or three years to master, really, as you've seen with Klopp at Liverpool, rather than two or three weeks. Um, and looking at the situation, Ralph in the home dugout was at a loss to explain what was going on uh, with United. But Ralph in the away dugout had a bit of a crack at it in his own uh, in his own post-match press conference, and he he kind of maybe tore off a bit of a plaster for United fans because the reaction was kind of yes, he sees these things, he's just being honest. And then there was a little bit of maybe kind of partisan partisanship creeping in of United fans not happy that the manager of Southampton was criticising them. But he he hits on this idea that he knew. If he got United running in the opposite direction, having to chase Southampton runners, track midfielders, get back and do some of the the dog work in in their own box, that's where they'd get joy from. United fans are not going to appreciate the opposition manager essentially effectively pointing out what they can probably see, particularly when their own manager is claiming that he can't see it. Does he have a point in all this? It's, It's not going to be an easy one for United fans to swallow, but does Ralph number two have a point where Ralph number one is at a bit of a loss? Yeah, I, th- I think he probably is, and, and Ranić's never going to admit that. But Hassan Utel is is far better at analysing football matches than we are, mm. and if he's if he's spotted that, then you can guarantee that every other team will have will have spotted that. And that is certainly not a fitness issue. The fact that they can't run backwards as quickly as they can run forwards is nothing <laughs> to do with fitness. Um, you know, that's an attitude problem and, and something that Skull, Paul Scholes touched on in his post match yesterday. And it does. I mean, I've been saying it for a while. It, it feels to me like the they're quite an unlikable team. They don't feel like they're really... They don't feel like they're playing as a team. They don't feel like a unit. I thought one one example yesterday, and it's, it's kind of a lack of doing the basics mm. right, and it was when Ronaldo scored in inverted commas with about 20 minutes to go from the, from the free kick. 
and Fernandes took that free kick and Southampton held a line basically they didn't they didn't do what some teams do and rush out they just held a line mm. and six United players were offside from that yeah. free kick only a yard offside but it's offside it, it's not going to count mm. and to have six players running offside from a free kick even if it's just a yard when all the opposition have done is hold a line it just smacks of a complete lack of basics to me and a complete mm. lack of it's, attention it's to the minor details. It is, yeah, that's a good word for it. It is completely, it is careless. And it's the type of thing that good teams and great teams don't do. And even then, when it got disallowed, you had Ronaldo and Fernandes in the referee's face. Incredulous, it was disallowed. There was six of you offside. And it's just, it is like Stephen says, it's careless and a lack of attention to detail. That's United in a nutshell for me. I'm not just trying to stick the knife in as a Manchester City fan. Like, um, I guess maybe I'm coming from, from the angle of watching a team that is the exact opposite of carelessness. You know, Manchester City are so organised and so focused and so so thoroughly disciplined and organised. And every time I watch Manchester United, of course, I'm holding back laughter as a City fan. But in general, you can see the problems. Um, there's, uh, I think I remember even Ty saying it on his. I remember I think he tweeted yesterday when he match report that there's a culture United of like essentially moaning. You know, and that is a thing that they have to they have to address themselves and all those players they seem to it's crazy given the, the stature of some of the players but they do seem to lack a sense of responsibility you know and I find it absolutely baffling um, that they they aren't aware of their own deficiencies some of these players it certainly feels that way to me and this idea you know maybe they can point at the manager and say he hasn't got the you know the pedigree or the thing whatever it shouldn't matter you know it, 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 professionals successful professionals will work hard they will work be focused they will be organised because it's their duty as players and United um, they are they you get the sense that the culture they're just pointing around blaming each other and no one is willing to take responsibility for me that is the biggest problem in United's dressing room is that absolutely weirdly, despite the success, and the, they've got no leaders or mm. well, no traditional leaders? You know, it doesn't feel that way to me. Ronaldo is a leader upon himself, which is fine. You know, um, Varane is too new, I guess, maybe to take over that mantle. Maguire's never looked like captain material for me personally, and it's just the rest of your younger players and. It's just not a happy squad and, and it's not a squad that takes responsibility and it's not going to change, in my opinion, anytime soon because it, um, they're, they're staring the obvious, uh, looking at the obvious and not willing to admit it. And Randy, uh, so Hasselhoff is absolutely right. They won't run backwards because none of them are willing to. From carelessness to rootlessness, we're going to switch over to City now, Steve. Um, pretty routine for Manchester City on the road. 4-0 away at Norwich, gearing up obviously for the return of Champions League action in midweek against Sporting Lisbon. So all of this again comes back into the context of the title race. Manchester City out in front at the moment. We're going to talk about Liverpool in part two. They are snapping at the heels. They have a game in hand. And I just want to put this into the context of, of as I say, the title race. If Liverpool win that game in hand, that's six points. Six points with 13 games to go. So this was pretty routine yesterday. City did exactly as you would expect. They were dominant pretty much from start to finish. It is going to be tight and it is going to be fascinating for, for non-City and non-Liverpool fans who can kind of just crack open the popcorn and watch this. Are you looking through the fixture calendar and kind of marking off games and saying this could be an issue, this is probably going to be okay? Where do you see the bumps in the road coming between now and the end of the season for City? Um, I don't think you can really do that if I'm being honest. So not because it's not you know a way of doing it, but more because the bumps in the road don't tend to usually be the games you'd expect them to be. You know, a draw mm. against Southampton, something like that. You know, dropping points against Palace. It's not being against Chelsea or you know Liverpool that we've really struggled. You know, and uh, United as well. We were comfortable and we beat a lot of teams, big teams already this season. Um, it'll be against a team that you probably don't expect. Someone fighting for their lives, maybe I don't know. Or it just could be one of those days where you don't really. It doesn't all click. You know, you hit the crossbar three times and. 
you know, a team scores on the counter. That could happen. I'm looking at the fixtures. It could be, you know, United could <laughs> prove me wrong entirely. Palace could do it. Brighton could do it. Burnley could have a Burnley day. You know, Wolves, Watford. Watford could, you know, fight for their lives and get some points there. Um, but overall, I mean, the way I sit, I try and look at the bigger picture and see City, you know, we've got 13 games left. I think it's probably fair to say, you know, maybe nine wins is pretty much wraps up the title unless Liverpool win every single game, which seems unrealistic despite as good as they are. Um, and to me, it's just more the broader picture. If we can go, but I, I, can, I can look at uh, batches of three or four games at a time, you know, and try and think, right, get three games, three wins out of those four, then we'll probably be okay. Then do the same again, then we'll probably be okay. Um, and City right now, I think I would be relatively naive to be overly concerned you know um, our record is really good and we can beat, beat, beat pretty much every team and it's such a cliche but it really is just uh, about focusing and making sure the players are fit and then um, taking it relatively a game at a time I don't think Guardiola's looking two or three months ahead of his stomach he is mm. you'll be looking at Spurs you know um, next, after this Sporting Lisbon game of course and Everton and so on um, yeah I mean it is really just about keeping on with City at the moment Looking at the performance itself, Raheem Sterling was the main man on the night for City. A hat-trick, his fifth Premier League hat-trick of his career. That brings him into the, the top 10 of all-time Premier League hat-trick scorers. And obviously there was the speculation at the start of the season that potentially he wanted to move on. Pep Guardiola is quite open about this idea that if he did and if the situation was right, he'd be open to considering it. But he's come back into the team, albeit these are his first goals of, of 2022. But scoring a hat-trick will obviously just send the confidence soaring back through him. And the confidence in the players around him of just what Sterling can do. Where do you see his role between now and the end of the season? Obviously, transfer window's closed. He's not leaving until at least the summer, if at all. Is he going to be a key figure for City between now and the end of the season? Or is it going to be just a bit of rotation? He'll play these games. Someone else will come in for certain games. Do you think Pep's got enough faith to say Sterling is the man in the Premier League and in the Champions League between now and the end of the campaign? I don't think any player's played more uh, outfield than Sterling has for Manchester City and Guardiola's reign, which I think tells you everything about his trust. I mean, it, that was true as of a few months back. I'm not sure it's still true now, but but I know that at one point, Guardiola absolutely trusts Sterling. He absolutely loves him to bits. And um, I think he's, Guardiola's been waiting for a return to form for Sterling, if I'm being honest, because he, he's one of his favourite players, and, um, and rightfully so. Uh, Sterling is a brilliant player who went through a, a, a very low year, if I'm being honest. I can't deny that. Um, he didn't really find his best form he wasn't scoring goals but all of a sudden he's the third top goal scorer in the Premier League again which is crazy given the perception of his season being relatively poor he's he's on 10 goals you know Salah's on 16 and Salah is having uh, uh, according to many people an all time ever season you know, a wonderful season mm-hmm. and Sterling's you know, I say only 6 goals behind but it, I guess the point I'm making is that gap, you know, with Patrick Hero there, it suddenly narrows and it shows you just how good Sterling can be when he finds that, you know, that hot streak of form. And um, he's a fantastic player. Uh, and Guardiola absolutely will trust him and absolutely will make him a key player for this running because. Yeah, Guardiola trusts him. It's simple as that. It's as simple as that. His work rate, his understanding of where to be. I mean, that goal instinct that he has. I mean, he can scoff a few chances here or there, and mm. he can, you know, he can miss some sitters. But the, the reason Sterling scores so many goals is simply because he knows exactly where to be, and uh, that that sense of goal is is it's a rare thing in football. And Sterling absolutely has it. And to fair to him, you know, he looked like he could have been on his way out maybe, but I think he's the way he's found himself back into the team is a testament to his own personal ability and his hard work. 
just quickly on Norwich before we take a break Ty they wouldn't have expected to win this game they probably wouldn't have even expected to have got a draw against Manchester City but it's a difficult couple of weeks coming up for Dean Smith and his side results elsewhere mean they drop back down into the relegation zone overnight they go to Liverpool next weekend at Anfield and things are tough as I say for them in the next few weeks how does Dean Smith manage this so that when they come back in March and they've got Brentford at home Leeds away and a couple of other games where you might go they could get a result there to make sure they're still in the picture to survive how does he essentially ride this storm where they're probably possibly not going to pick up any points if not maybe one or two here and there to make sure that they're still in the running in a month's time I think this is where your man management comes in and it's easy for us to say and it's true that games at home to Man City and away at Liverpool for them are essentially free hits games they're expected Mm. to lose and that the players shouldn't take any great upset from, from losing to them but at the same time when you're a professional footballer and you're getting beaten 4-0 and completely played off the park it, it can have an effect on you and it can be difficult so this is kind of where a, a good manager earns their money in in encouraging the players and getting the players just to kind of brush that off and accept it mm. and, and keep their heads up rather than feel demoralised and the, you know, the biggest issue for Norwich was the Crystal Palace game in midweek and, and not winning that um, Games against Man City and Liverpool aren't going to keep them up unless they pull off some kind of incredible shock result. It's those home games against mid-table teams that they need to be they need to be winning. But in, in terms of you know they have got a, a more encouraging fixture list coming up, and, and like I said, those Brentford and Leeds fixtures are going to be massive. But it's about making sure they've still got a, a good level of morale and a high morale going into it, and that if they lose four 0 say at Anfield next week, that it those results haven't knocked confidence too much. Another interesting weekend on both sides of Manchester and a little bit of a routine setting in place. Frustrating draw for Manchester United and a box ticked on the road for Manchester City. We're going to grab a quick break. After the break, we're heading down the M62 to the red and blue halves of Liverpool. Three points apiece for Frank Lampard and for Jurgen Klopp. A first Premier League win for Lampard as Jurgen Klopp looks to keep pace with City in the title race that neither he nor Pep Guardiola can agree on who is in it. We're going to be talking about all of that in just a second. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Before the break, it was Manchester City and Manchester United. Disappointment again for Manchester United with a one-all draw at home to Southampton. But Manchester City power on in the title race with three points away at Norwich. In part two, we're going to be talking about the two Merseyside teams, the red and blue halves of Liverpool, as they kept up their winning pattern in recent weeks. Right, we're going to start with Everton tie I'm going to go to you first on this Frank Lampard first Premier League win as Everton boss obviously started in style a week ago against Brentford in the FA Cup but a defeat away at Newcastle had uh, kind of let a bit of the air out of the balloon of uh, of Frank's start at Everton Um, this was exactly what Everton needed a 3-0 win at home to Leeds who were in that block of teams alongside Everton that are not 
quite in relegation danger, but are probably teetering on the brink. And I think the most important thing about this game was goals at important times. Two really early goals, Seamus Coleman and Michael Keane, meant that when Leeds had their chances, Rodrigo really unlucky, absolutely battered two against the crossbar. Neither of them went in. Leeds missed a couple more chances. And then Richarlison slash Anthony Gordon got a third late on, just as Leeds were kind of building up a bit of momentum and they might like make a battle of it in the last 20 minutes. So this was huge for Everton in the context of where they want to be. Does this come down to home form? Because so much has been mentioned about Lampard and the effect and the fact that the Everton fans, particularly at home, were massively disillusioned under Rafa Benitez. We know it's not going to be a smooth ride until the end of the season, but if they can harness their home form, looking at some of the games, they've got City to come at the end of the month, but then there's there's Wolves, United, Crystal Palace, Chelsea and Brentford between now and the end of the season. If they win the bulk of those, will that be enough to keep them up? Yeah, I think it will. And you're absolutely right. The, the result against Newcastle is almost irrelevant given the, mm. the win against Leeds and the FA Cup win against Brentford. And you, you, know, you mentioned the fans at Goodison Park. They're probably the most tempestuous fans in the league I would say and when things are going well it can be a really hard place to to go and play and when things are going badly for them it is a really hard place for Everton to play um, and there's you know it feels like there's rarely a middle ground at Everton and that when things are going wrong as they were under Benitez home games are a, are a disaster for them because the crowd can just be so so negative but when things are going positively they're, they're a real bonus for them and now Lampard's had two very convincing home wins Goodison is obviously going to be on his side. It, the fans are happy anyway that Benitez has gone. So the the two home wins I think are, are most important. And it almost I think it have taken that start and losing to Newcastle to get the fans on side. And home form should be enough for them. They should never have been in this position anyway. They've had a lot of injuries, but they've got a squad that is easily good enough to stay up. The the fixture list has been accommodating for him. I think playing Leeds at home is is a nice fixture for anyone at the moment. Leeds are, you know, they're fantastic to watch, but they are open as well and they will give you chances, even as Villa found out in midweek, if Everton have found out now, even mid-table to, to struggling teams will get chances against them. And yeah, I think I think the home form is is going to be essential for Everton and having having Goodison on side is is absolutely massive for Lampard. And I think the the fixtures and the way the results for, have fallen have, have worked out perfectly for him because the the Goodison factor and, and having having a raucous home support now mm. could be the difference between not just safety but then pulling away and, and finishing relatively comfortably clear of it in the end. Just want to ask about Leeds, Steve, because for some reason, whether it's perception, whether it's factual, whether whatever it is, they've not been mentioned in the same relegation conversations as Everton and as Newcastle, despite the fact that, you know, as we end the weekend, they're only a point above Everton. They've actually played a game more than them, so Everton could leapfrog them if they if they win that game in hand. But both Everton and Newcastle have had a managerial change. There's obviously been massive upheaval at Newcastle with the buyout and Everton, as you mentioned, there's so much toxicity that surrounded Rafa Benitez. It wasn't just a straightforward manager leaves his post. Marcelo Bielsa has huge widespread support at Leeds, despite the fact that they are inconsistent. As Ty said, they give away chances and drop points that they probably shouldn't. Has he been kind of a beneficiary of the fact that there's been such a circus at Everton and at Newcastle and the other teams appear to be so much worse than them Newcastle, Watford and Burnley that they are sneaking into this and nobody's really talking about it to any massive extent 
I think it's because it's only really happening now, if I'm being honest. They've been around there, but the perception was that they looked relatively comfortable. Obviously, then a, a few teams below have started to win some games. Everton, you know, maybe they'll find form under Lampard and Newcastle certainly are. Um, there's maybe even signs of positivity a little bit for Burnley. I know they've not had the results necessarily, but you know, there's obviously talk now, Veghorst is coming back in and so on. But um, yeah, you're right, Leeds, um, they are being slowly dragged into this. Uh, I, I guess mainly there's probably a little bit of a trust broadly with the Leeds that, you know, people think Leeds are a good footballing side. And even though obviously they're not really scoring at the moment, um, they've not been clinical enough um, and they are conceding goals. I think a lot of that has been down this season to injuries. They've had an awful lot, you know, they've had very young footballers on the bench and so on. And I think it's essentially Leeds... Maybe there is a perception that they have too much quality to go down in terms of their style and their conviction. And there's a lot of faith as well from the fans, which probably plays into it. There isn't, you know, immense amounts of discontent around the fan base. And that usually kind of reaches the press and the general perception of the team as well. Um, Leeds, they are in that situation now, whether they like it or not. What is it? Four points clear or something like that? I don't know, something like that either way. Maybe even a bit more than that, actually. But mm, they six six points as it stands. Oh yeah, and a game in hand as well. So they are down there, um, and they're down there deservedly so. But still, they 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 shouldn't. Maybe they're not too panicky just yet because as good as Everton and Newcastle's form could be and catch it, I, I, can we anyone really see a six-point swing potentially with Norwich and Watford or Burnley or maybe we'll see certainly Norwich with a six-point swing. I don't know if the other sides down there are good enough. Um, that's not to say that Leeds aren't poor and it shouldn't be concerning for them, but mm. at the same time, I just don't really have faith in the other teams to turn it around because they've shown not, they haven't really shown the the, uh, the potential to do that. I mean, if, if Norwich and Watford get anywhere near for 30 points, I'd honestly be surprised given the form this season and Burnley almost certainly won't and I think Leeds probably will exceed 30 points in the end they probably need three or four wins to out of the remaining 15 to stay up I reckon three points for Frank Lampard on his Premier League debut as Everton boss and there was three points on the other side of Stanley Park uh, all be annexed up at Turf Moor 1-0 win for Liverpool away at Burnley Burnley as you mentioned obviously stay rock bottom but they do seem to have about 50 games in hand so that's still a bit of a, <laughs> a mad situation of them trying to dig themselves out so Steve strange as it is asking a, a Man City fan about Liverpool I, I do have to ask you about this because again just like City every step Liverpool take every point or win that they pick up is all going to be mentioned in the context again just yeah. like City of the of the title race and Klopp and Pep have done their best kind of hot potato impression of this during the week Jurgen Klopp saying there's no chance Liverpool are well out of the title race you know congratulations the cards in the post Pep well done and then Guardiola's doing the opposite and saying Liverpool are right in it we haven't won anything yet and I know you're not wanting to plot a path for Man City between now and the end of the season but Will you be keeping an eye on Liverpool out the corner of your eye and thinking if City do stumble, Liverpool are picking up ahead of steam in terms of consistency. They do have a lot of games. They've got the EFL Cup final, Champions League, FA Cup, just like City. But they've got their guys back from AFCON now. They seem to have injuries clearing up the rest of the way through the squad. Do you think that if there is a stumble, a slight slip from City, that Liverpool are just waiting to gobble it up? Yeah, of course they are. Um <sighs> Can they be absolutely perfect from here on out to the end of the season? I don't know if, they could, any, if they're going to win 14 games in a row 
base on top of the current four as well they'd have to do something pretty special and that's not to say they're not capable it's just incredibly unlikely you know statistically and logically um, and I, I don't think Klopp's even potentially lying when he says that I think he probably believes that this City side is incredibly hard to chase down and and that's probably deserved given Guardiola's record of holding these things out and you know making sure the City players maintain their focus there probably is another twist or two in there and by twist I mean you know maybe City you know lose a game Liverpool win one and all of a sudden you know it looks a lot closer but at the same time, Liverpool will drop points. City will drop points. Um, I can't really see City dropping six more points than Liverpool, personally. Uh, and that's not me trying to be you know, incredibly biased. It's just, I just don't see it. It just doesn't seem likely to me. Um, and uh, what that means, Guardiola is right, though, obviously, to keep the players focused and say it isn't over, because it literally isn't, to be fair. It literally isn't over. It's not even close to over yet. Um, and he'll understand what Liverpool are capable of. They When City won you know, the league, when Liverpool were chasing them down, when City got 18 points, we had to win 14 games in a row to keep Liverpool at bay. And they mm. were absolutely phenomenal, too. And that kind of stuff does stick in your mind. That is That was a grind. And I would expect Liverpool at 14 are probably going to be on 11 12, you know, at least, which is mm. absolutely insane. Um, but then the City only really need, you know, nine out of the next 13 to win the league in that instance. Um, yeah, they'll keep us fresh. They'll keep City honest, really. They'll keep City chasing down. Uh, I've got no doubt they'll carry on, to gr- carry on grinding out wins. Whether it'll be enough, I'm not really convinced it will be because I have to believe, believe that way. But I guess that's just the um, trajectory of how things are at the moment. Um, Ty, what's your take on this as a kind of half neutral uh, looking at the picture with Man City and Liverpool and what could, should, probably will be a bit of a tight title race as we go into the last few weeks of the season. Going back to this game in hand, if Liverpool do win that six points gap, that will mean, as Steve says, City dropping six points. Obviously, Liverpool and City do still have to play each other between now and the end of the campaign. Do you think it is too much for Liverpool to claw back? Is it just fans of the other 18 teams wanting a title race? Do you think there is just too much ground to make up, even if Liverpool just absolutely power on and win every game? I think at the moment it, it is, yeah. It it feels six point. I mean, it, in title races, kind of a decade ago, twelve years ago, six points used to feel like it was really close. These doable, days, yeah, doable. These these days, the standards are so high that six points feels like yeah, you know, feels like a huge uh, bridge to 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 get across. And I think it becomes interesting if maybe if City drop points next, you know, if that gap can close to three points or four points. Then you're yeah. looking at it thinking, okay, mm. that's that's a title race, that's doable. It, at the moment, it's right on that margin of City are probably just kind of looking over their shoulder, knowing they still need to be on it, knowing that there's still a little bit of nervousness there. If Liverpool drop points next and it goes to eight or nine points, then I think it feels pretty comfortable for City. If if City drop points and Liverpool close it to three or four, then it it gets really uncomfortable, especially if that happens before Liverpool go to the Etihad in, in April, I think it yeah. is. So at the moment, it feels like it's it's just about on that line for City where it's it's pretty comfortable. But if they if they drop points next, then it certainly becomes a a title race, and it does kind of feel like that. Like they mentioned, the title race of obviously four years ago now, three years ago when City <laughs> well, won. Yeah, City won their last fourteen and were were absolutely amazing. And it does feel like Liverpool will have to pull something very similar out of the bag to to go and do it really. But like I say, it does. I think if, if City were to drop points next and Liverpool were to get it within three or four in kind of a, a one-hit game, then you would think we have a title race at the moment. I don't quite think it's it's a title race that deserves a big Sky Sports build-up. 
Yeah, that's the thing I would say as a City fan is that when we City do drop points, which happens every now and of course it does, the, the thing that makes me feel reassured after learning this from watching Guardiola for years now is that usually there's a reaction and the City then go mm. and win four or five games in a row, you know. So that's what makes me feel relaxed. I, I, we will drop points, of course we will at some point, but I, I do trust the team then to go and answer that, you know, and sharp up and focus again and win, you know, multiple on the bounce again, which is what makes us really hard to chase down. Fingers crossed, obviously, from my perspective, that, that, that is, you know, rings true stuff. Uh, just quickly on Burnley tie, obviously the situation that they find themselves in is still governed by this amount of games at hand that they do have. They've got at least two, three in some senses against their relegation rivals but this expectation that Burnley gonna Burnley, they'll they'll do it at some stage, Dyche will kind of whip them into gear and they'll start to grunt and grind and, and get results. There was a little bit of a showing of that against Manchester United in midweek. They got a point, that was a step in the right direction but just looking through the fixtures that they've got coming and the results that they've had so far this season there's a lot of D's for draws They've only still only won one Premier League game this season, despite the fact that they've got this number of matches in hand. I do still think personally that what Burnley do will decide the relegation battle, even though they're in this dire situation, because they're the only team with the experience, the players and the manager that has got the kind of street smarts to, to get themselves out of this. And the situation isn't as bad as maybe it looks, because if they just win one game, one game, one win, they've got a better goal difference than the majority of teams in the relegation battle. They'll go from 20th to 18th, and then they're right on the heels of Newcastle and of Everton. But something needs to change. What they do in the next few months, or few weeks even, will decide the relegation battle. But it needs to happen, and it needs to happen soon. Yeah, it, it really does. And the you know the hammer blow result for them this week was Watford undoubtedly and not winning that and it kind of plays into this bigger pattern where Burnley's success was always built on winning home games against mm. you know almost everyone from tenth from tenth down. I think the idea that Turf Moor is a horrible place to go to for big six teams has has well and truly it's been a myth. Is a myth. Yeah, it's not yeah. anymore. Yeah, it's not anymore. And it, you know it looked a grind for Liverpool today, but. It, the big teams go there now and are used to it and know what they're going to get but Burnley have always been brilliant at beating teams kind of from 10th 11th down getting their home form spot on and picking up enough points there you know often the 80% of their points are coming at home in a lot of their successful seasons and seasons where they've stayed up but this year there's been so many home games you know I think Brighton Leeds Norwich Watford um, Palace I think all home games they've not won and and that is what is costing them. I think that you know they're they're usually pretty average away from home, but they're they're very good at home. But the home form has, has fallen off a cliff this year, and I've you know it's hard to see who they're going to pull into it and putting enough consistent results together. And the big issue is they've they've kind of they've kind of been sleepwalking into this. I think that for the last three years the recruitment has been mm. it, it's been poor in a way, but it's almost been non-existent too. And they've just rested on their laurels they've let a team grow old now I, I used yeah. to cover them for the local paper for the Lancashire Telegraph I left that job three years ago now yeah of their starting 11 before Chris Wood left probably nine of the 11 were in their best 11 when I was covering them and I think if you've got any Premier League team that have got nine of their best 11 players in a three season difference is probably not moving forward. And I think that's the case for Liverpool and City as much as the case at the bottom of the table. And Burnley have stood still while other teams have improved. So I don't think it's any real surprise that they've been dragged into it. And this, you know, this would be Dyche has done an amazing job there. But this would be the the biggest miracle of the lot, I think, if he could pull them out of this. 
you've got to consider as well the fact that you know it's not about their own form improving it's also about hoping that the teams above them that they've got to chase don't carry on getting better Newcastle mm. they are going to win many more games Newcastle but on here and out and then Everton as well you've got to presume you know I'm sure we've not talked about Everton yet today but we will do but Everton Lampard there is that new manager bounce you can sense it and I don't know how many they'll win but I can imagine they're going to win um, more than enough to keep that current gap that they've got but eight points between the two teams you know and Everton they've only got one game on Everton as well in hand which is not enough when you've got you know you've got to try and recoup eight points get a team that start, probably, will probably start winning some games so I mean then after that is are they hunting down Leeds that's a big gap you know that's a big gap between them and Leeds so at some point as, as well as he's done dice that magic will run out you can't you know presume that tap's going to run forever and it looks like it's turning dry to me yeah, big weekend for Liverpool and Everton. Three points apiece as Liverpool keep up the pressure on Manchester City and Everton look to dig themselves out of relegation danger. But Burnley fans will know that if Sean Dyche is to shine the Claret's bat symbol in the sky, it needs to happen and it needs to happen soon if they want to stay in the Premier League next season. Right, we're going to grab another quick break. After the break in part three, we're going to be reviewing the other weekend action from the Premier League. Big win for Newcastle as they push themselves away from relegation danger and Wolves keep themselves in the race for a European spot. All that to come in just a few minutes. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Just a quick reminder, as always, here on FSD, we are your daily source of all things Premier League. And that means a daily Premier League podcast. If you hit subscribe on this episode, you can get access to that as soon as it is ready. We are here right the way through the season and right the way until the end of what should be a brilliant 2022 Premier League campaign. Right, we're going to get stuck into the final games this weekend. Tie Tottenham nil, Wolves 2. Big missed chance for Spurs this as they want to put pressure on the Champions League places and also the Europa League places. In fact, Wolves actually leapfrogged them now in the race for Europe. And we touched on this a bit with Bielsa with Leeds. And for me, Conte has a little bit of this at Tottenham that the strong start that he made, the long record of unbeaten in the Premier League, obviously they got knocked out of the Europa Conference League and then there was issues in the Cup where Chelsea put them out three Premier League defeats in a row has strangely snuck up not on Spurs fans they'll be well aware of that but on non-Spurs fans they lost to Chelsea obviously back-to-back in the cup and then in the league they lost to Southampton in midweek and then 2-0 to Wolves today this is a bit of an issue because that type of form at the start of the season saw Nuno Santo get the sack there's no way Antonio Conte is going to get the sack on the back of this but this is a really difficult period for them. They've got four away games coming up in a row now, three in the Premier League and one in the FA Cup. It's a difficult run and it's difficult to see how they kind of grab onto something and drag themselves back on track. Yeah, it's hard to see how they get fourth. I mean, the good news is that no one's really pulling away in, in fourth. It's the, the place that, that no one really wants at the moment. Um but yeah, it's it's been a disastrous run, and I'm you know I'm finding it harder and harder to envisage a scenario where Conte's there next year. Um, mm. To be honest, I think the fact he only wanted an 18 and would only sign an 18 month contract was pretty insightful in itself. His comments after both of those Chelsea Cup defeats 
smacked of someone who was shocked at quite how much work was required at Tottenham. I think he said after the game today as well that he's not used to this. He's not used to a scenario where his team are, are chasing fourth and, and chasing it badly. He's used to competing for titles. He's a manager who, who he's not a project manager. He's a pro, he's a manager who brings instant success. But what mm. is instant success for Tottenham? It's you know it's it's I guess it's getting fourth. But even that, they they were outsiders fourth from the start. They're probably going to lose their best player in the summer. It feels like this is a job for a, a project manager, and that is not Conte. And I just I can see him thinking in the summer this this is not worth my time. And he could walk away in the summer and easily get another big job at a big club somewhere relatively soon. And I just can't I can't see him going on. It doesn't feel like they're a particularly good fit at the moment, and their form has been so poor. That Southampton game in in midweek was. You know, when Spurs were two one up, they were they were stealing those three points. They were so comprehensively outplayed by Southampton. It sounded today like they were really poor again. Both of those games at home um, as well, and it, you know, it does feel like not only is fourth slipping away, but fifth and sixth might be slipping away here. It might be the Europa Conference League or out of Europe again altogether. And you, there's probably a sense that the players can feel as well that Conte Conte's heart might not be in this. And he, he's bound to already be thinking about the summer and whether this really is the, the project and the club for him. And if the players can sense that, then it, it's probably going to be an issue. So it does feel like there's, there's a few issues there for them at the moment and they almost need to, to reset in the summer and, and think again. Uh, looking across some of the other results, 1-0 for Newcastle at home to Aston Villa. And this is almost dreamland territory for Newcastle. Obviously on the back of the buyout, there was so much confidence about the direction the club was going in. Steve Bruce left Eddie Howe came in took him a while to get started got that win against Burnley then things didn't really catch fire they're now in a position with three Premier League win wins on the run first time they've yeah. done that since the middle of 2018 which is massively impressive form for a team that wants to get out of relegation push on up into mid-table and, and not have to worry about getting sucked into this and Possibly, surprisingly, the inspiration behind all of this is Kieran Trippier. Brilliant free kick to get the three points today. Banged in a free kick against Everton in midweek. Back-to-back free kick goals for a right-back. In a way, I'm kind of saying this tongue-in-cheek that I'm surprised. I'm not. This is an England international. He won La Liga with Atletico Madrid last season. He's a very experienced and a very, very good player. But... Eddie Howe is maybe being a bit more pragmatic about how he wants Newcastle to be a force. It'd be very easy to look to the new guy that's come in, Bruno Guimarães, or even Chris Ward and say, you score the goals, Guimarães will provide the kind of spark and the electricity in midfield. Kieran Trippier is actually probably the most capable player to drag them out of relegation and make them a solid Premier League side because he's got that experience, he's got that quality... And he was even given the captain's armband today and to the point when he went off injured in the second half, everything seemed to be hanging on him despite the fact that he's a right back. Um, yeah, well, he's just a quality footballer. It's as simple as that, really. I mean, how could you not learn how to be a leader? How could you not learn how to essentially have that experience? Uh, well, just learn that experience in general when you've just played under Simeone's side, you know, who literally has won the Liga despite Barca and Real existing. Um, he's a fantastic player and uh, I'm, I'm really genuinely not surprised. I, mean, I didn't expect him to score two goals back to back, obviously. But I'm not surprised he scored full stop. I'm not surprised he's been essential because it was a really smart signing, a genuinely pound for pound brilliant signing for Newcastle. And then uh, not just him as well. Dan Byrne looks incredibly astute as well. He was fantastic. Um, 
but yeah, that experience, they're leaning on it and rightfully so. And uh, honestly, I'm not even surprised he made him captain. I guess it's an element as well of how um, Eddie Howe understanding um, the impact that he's had and understanding his seniority. And he's very much a lead by example kind of player, Kieran Drippery as well. And that, um, you know, he's got something that none of that squad have. It, genuinely, he's a very unique player to Newcastle right now, mm. given what he's achieved, um, you know, in his recent career. Uh, and Howe as well, he's done really well so far as well. We can't really underestimate, uh, you you know what he's getting out of play is St. Maximin obviously is a fantastic footballer but looks even more alive somehow if that's possible and obviously turning Joe Linton as well into you know this wonderful midfielder um, it's looking very positive for Newcastle they've signed well uh, you know they've kind of plugged some problem bits and it's always a good idea just to buy a set piece specialist it just is you know because it, against teams that are around you that, that one moment of magic can make be such make such a difference to your season and Trippi has got that in him just looking across to the last two games of the weekend, we've talked about the other teams down the bottom tie and, and how that changes or potentially doesn't change the relegation picture. Wins for Everton, win for Newcastle, Norwich losing against Man City and then rock bottom Burnley losing to Liverpool. It, not looking good for Roy Hodgson and Watford. 2-0 defeat at home to Brighton. Roy Hodgson's first home game in charge of Watford and it just looked tense the Crystal Palace fans were singing uh, sorry the Brighton fans were singing about him because of his connections with Crystal Palace they kind of hummed and hard first half second half Emmanuel Dennis back in the team he's top scorer for them this season he hit the post he knocked one wide nothing really seemed to click Neil Morpai did get a brilliant goal for Brighton to, to get them out in front and kind of set the tempo for things but when you look at the relegation picture and you look at the situation with Watford since Hodgson's come in they've only got that point that you mentioned away from home up at Burnley and Goal scoring wise, they're really, really struggling. They've only scored one goal in the Premier League in, in 2022. That's a terrible record for a team that needs something, anything to spark them into getting out of this. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're probably reliant on Dennis, who missed those chances. But I think in reality, he's probably had about two good months this season. He's had a couple of hot spells, and, and that is it. And these are the, no, I touched on with Burnley, these are the type of games that you need to be winning from February onwards if you're going to drag yourself out of it. And it, it's a damaging result. It felt a bit of a, a strange appointment for that squad in a way. Hodgson, it's such an eclectic squad that it, it, I'm not sure it felt a natural fit as an appointment. And it, it, I, I'm with Steve really and when he was talking about Burnley. It, it's not so much how many points are Watford going to get, it's who can they catch, who can they, mm, who yeah. can they get onto and, and get onto their yeah. coattails of because Everton should pull away now, I think, under Lampard. Newcastle were always going to pull away if they had a even a reasonable January. The, with Burnley, it's a bit bad luck. But the, the issue with Watford and Norwich, and to a certain degree Burnley, is that they didn't put enough daylight between them and Newcastle going into January. Mm. There was always... It once a takeover happened, there was always the talk of what the Newcastle need to do in January. In the end, they didn't need to do that much because they went into January in touch. And they went in in touch because Burnley have only won once all season. Watford and Norwich have been pretty poor all season. Those three needed to hit their needed to hit good form in November and December to make it harder for Newcastle, and they haven't. They've made it easy for Newcastle. Newcastle are, have got good players. Have got better players now. They've got a decent manager in, in Eddie Howe. I don't think he's a brilliant manager, but he's decent. They'll get enough goals from him um, in the Howe system. So I think they'll pull away. The only you, the teams you're looking at maybe are Brentford and Leeds, but I think they're just. I think Brentford and Leeds are better than the bottom three. They've got an advantage as it is. Leeds will yeah. win enough games at Ellen Road, I think. Brentford have, have shown enough that they'll pick up some wins. And it's it's just hard to see where those bottom three get the results from because 
they they all feel like championship sides at the moment. To be honest, they feel like a pretty poor bottom three compared to compared to previous seasons. And I think I I would be very surprised if it wasn't those three that went down. And I'd be surprised if it wasn't done with at least two or three games to go. To be honest, because it is it is hard to see for all of them where the points are going to come from at the moment. And the final game of the weekend, Steve, involves two teams that are also in that bracket of probably won't get sucked into it, but can't be ruled out that they could slide down. Brentford Crystal Palace, 14th against 12th. This was a real dull dud of an affair, nil-nil <laughs> at home, but bit of positivity for Brentford. Five straight Premier League defeats is now over. They got themselves a point on the board. There's obviously been a lot of positivity throughout the season of Thomas Frank, Brentford's first ever season in the Premier League, Patrick Vieira in charge of Crystal Palace, really looking to change things from Roy Hodgson and you know the kind of solid Palace into something that's a, a bit more enterprise and a bit more interesting to watch. Given the fact that, as you've said and, and Ty's also said, this idea that it mightn't come down to the ability of teams to rack up a big load of points, it's whether there is too much of a gap and whether other teams will, will drop enough points to get sucked into it. You wouldn't really be surprised if these two teams end the season where they are. Nice and solid, impressive starts. Thomas Franks established Brighton in uh, in the Premier League. Patrick Vieira is building up a, a growing reputation for himself as a promising young coach. There's almost this idea that they could pack up now with the greatest respect to the other teams. They'll probably get maybe between six and ten points between now and the end of the campaign. That will be more than enough to keep them up. They could just bow out now, take an early summer holiday. They probably know that as well, if we're being honest. I mean, I think it's very much a sense that they've done enough. Um, of course, there's no guarantee. You know, presuming you, have to, you just have to presume Brentford aren't going to lose another five games in a row after this, you know. And Palace hadn't won in a few games either. More still hadn't won, obviously. So I don't remember the last time, five or six games since they last won a game as well. And But you, you, you suspect they've both got a little bit too much quality. And it's probably a case of like, there was a lot of enthusiasm around both teams at the start of the season. And at some point, that energy is going to settle. And maybe the edge has gone a little bit bit for both sides you know they're not exactly fearful anymore they have, they've got nothing really above them to aim for um, so it's a case of just essentially seeing the season out I'm sure they're not confidently saying that you know out loud but it's maybe an internal feeling that both clubs are going through it's hard not to feel that way isn't it when you essentially realise you're a mid-table side this season and it's just they will both, both get another two or three wins probably each you know a couple of wins here and there which will just about be enough for them and um, it's probably fine as well you know both sides have you know done enough this season and, and that that, that that's okay. That's all right. It doesn't mean it's a good game of football. It was a terrible game of football. Don't get me wrong. Um, but ultimately, they're not going to be too bothered by that, you know, because they are where they are and they are where they need to be, basically. Uh, just quickly before we wrap up, because we might not have you on again before the end of the season or certainly before certain things are wrapped up, it's, it seems right that we should talk about the relegation battle. So, Ty, as it stands, Norwich, Watford, Burnley, are those the three teams that are going down? Yes, for me. I think the only um, suspense is in what order they go down, but I'm not sure you can actually call that suspense. So, yeah, I I think those three uh, are going for me, yeah. I think they're the worst uh, Steve, teams in the league. So, yeah, they are the three worst teams in the league, in my opinion. Um, and the table shows that. Their form shows it. And I, I can't really see any having the quality to catch up with the others because I think the others are going to pull away as well. Yeah, I agree. I, I can see a gap opening up in the next few weeks, but I just think... 
I just, I'm just waiting for Sean Dice to make his move and do something, anything. I agree with what I said that I think his kind of meat and spuds way of doing things has run its course, but he kind of knows that. And if he can drag one last little hurrah out of them uh, in the next few weeks, that he might suck, suck someone down into it. So I'm saying probably, but I think strangely, even though they're in the worst situation as it stands, if one of them is going to get out of it, I think it's actually going to be Burnley. But it's a hell of a, a hell of a hard road for them to to get through between now and the end of the campaign uh, guys we're going to wrap up for this weekend's edition of the Football Social Daily Ty, Steve, thanks so much for your time pleasure cheers thank you very much great stuff indeed guys as always hit subscribe up the top there and you can get access to a brand new podcast every single day every day of the Premier League season here at FSD Towers we are giving you a daily Premier League podcast so don't forget to check it out and we'll speak to you again very very soon Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.